the Asian Boxing Podcast. Colin and Scott, AsianBoxing.info, where if you are an Asian boxing fan, you better be on that site. You better be following Asian Boxing on Twitter because that is the place, the best place on the Twitterverse to follow all your Asian boxing on the in- entire internet to follow everything. Uh, Scott, let's go back a week ago. Last Wednesday, Ioka made some history uh, on the male side. I-, I noticed on Twitter, like everyone was like, oh yeah, first Japanese to ever become a four division champ. And you were quick to, to correct people. What I noticed that was really weird was the BBC also got it right. So the BBC of all places managed to um, manage to do what Muscle Boxing Media didn't. I mean, the BBC, they do their research, though. They know what's up. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, as you said, he became the uh, first ever Japanese four-weight male world champion, um, which makes him the second Japanese four-weight world champion behind the fantastic Naoka Fujioka, who... Uh, on world titles at minimum weight, light flyweight, flyweight, super flyweight, and bantamweight, and did it in a really, really strange order. She jumped from minimum weight to super flyweight, and I believe she won a bantamweight, moved down to light flyweight, and then finished at flyweight, which is just bizarre. Yeah, usually you don't you don't see that. It's sometimes not the best for your career when you move down like that, but. She made it work, so there you go. Uh, we can't argue with that. Aston Polite was the the opponent for Ioka, and, and this was a competitive bout for, for you know some of the rounds. I, I think most of the rounds, except kind of that that last round where Ioka caught him with a good counter and was able to get him out of there. It was a strange one. I felt Ioka was always in control, but Polite always sort of had a sense of danger and power, and we saw that particularly in round seven. It always seemed like Ayoka's speed and technique was a little bit too much for Plikte. And yeah, Plikte was in the fight, but never really looking like he was going to take it. He looked like he was always a touch, perhaps, behind Ayoka. You can't really fault the two guys. It was a brilliant fight. It was the speed. Yeah, I think the speed of Ayoka was the difference make- maker because Plikte was bigger and he had the reach and he, at some points, was using his jab very well. But also, there's definitely some lack of power for Polite, I think, in terms of... Ioka was getting tagged a little, but he, he, it didn't seem that he was bothered all, all that much by Polite. Yeah, it kind of seemed like Polite wasn't getting full contact, perhaps, on those shots, because we've seen him in the past, and he's, he's heavy-handed, but not the sharpest, and it's potentially a... Potentially Ioka was reading the shots and riding them quite well. No, defensively, he was phenomenal. Ioka... Uh, had a great game plan and he stayed with the game plan throughout the fight and in that in that tenth round he saw the fruits of his labor. Now for Ioka, what is next for uh, the new four division champ? For the new four division champ, there's two things that are next. He is getting married again later in the year and he will have a child born in the fall. Really? So is this his first child? I'm not sure if it's his first child, but it's his first child with the new partner. Um, he left Nana Tanimura last year after cheating on her and without getting into too much of this. Of you come on, man. Yeah, come on, she's amazing. Um, he's now dating a model, so maybe he's landing on his feet either way. Uh, well, we hope he can stay with this one and not cheat on her. 
But uh, okay, so a lot of family stuff going on, marriage, children. That's gonna add a lot to his plate. It is. As for boxing, what's next? It's unclear though. There has been talk about a um a potential rematch with Akira Yaigashi, a showdown with Kosai Tanaka, or a mandatory depending on the rematch between Javier Cintron and Koki Eto, which will take place in August. The one I'm paying for is Tanaka Aoka. You have, obviously, Aoka being a huge star and someone who is more of a veteran now at age 30, and then Tanaka, another big star who is an up-and-comer, and Tanaka would be going for that fourth division uh, belt as well. So I think that would, there'd be just so much on the line. Great storylines in that fight. And they're both the, CV, the same TV company, so it makes sense. They both want to fight in a new year. Yeah, it ticks so many boxes, and that's the one that I believe um, Japanese fans would want. So congratulations to Kaizuto Aoka. Also on that card, we got to see Hiroto Kiyoguchi. And I personally still have not seen this fight. I don't know if you have. I, I know it was on tape delay. But he did come away with a unanimous decision victory. It was strange. You mentioned you didn't see it. It was shown live through the Facebook channel, uh, Facebook account of Chachai Sasako, the former flyweight king. Who really? So it was, was he like ringside? He was ringside. He was working as Sita Monglek's trainer. So he was there um, as part of that team. And the bout was streamed on social media in what seemed one of the, uh, one of the very dodgy decisions from the Thais team. Gucci came out with the, the dub. Um, were you able to, to watch any part of it? And was he impressive in the fight? He was impressive. His pressure worked really well. But to be fair, I think the Thai came out with a more enhanced reputation. Gucci wasn't massively happy with his own performance and it kind of showed he got hit by a lot of jabs um, he struggled to press the action as much as he'd want he always looked in control but he didn't look like the top like flyer on the planet he perhaps uh, wouldn't have got a word of this top performance against a Felix Alvarado or uh, a Ken Shiro or Carlos Canizales this Thai challenger was undefeated coming into the fight he's a southpaw which makes it a little, little difficult so I, I think, yes, it's good to be critical, but coming out with the victory, that was what's most important. Um, but like you said, for the TIE fighter, going head-to-head with a world champ like Kyoguchi, that has to give you a lot of confidence moving forward. Yeah, yeah. when you add that there to the fact that the TIE challenger was a fantastic Muay Thai fighter, this wasn't some novice kicking up on boxing, it was an experienced fighter who will now take this experience of world-class boxing bounce back. I personally believe this is a win that will really age very well for years to come. There's just something about those Thai fighters um, who have so much experience in Muay Thai coming up, then they kind of switch over to boxing, and it, it transfers pretty well. It does indeed. Uh, so many of them have done it. It's perhaps just as good now as having a really good amateur pedigree. Fair enough, they and more Thai guys don't get the big fanfare that the gold and silver medal Olympians get, but some of them are just as good, just as pro-ready. They can move just as fast. Now, Kyoguchi, is he moving towards that Kenshiro bout, or do you think because he not so much struggled 
with uh, the challenger, but wasn't able to look as impressive as he wanted to. Uh, is he going to possibly go in another direction before attacking Chiro? I still think that both guys want that fight, so I think that's probably the primary fight for both guys. Whether it happens, it's hard to say, but Kaguchi does want to fight twice more this year. He is wanting to fight in the fall, so probably September, as well as the December balance, so there's, there's time to look good. Anyone else on this card, Scott, that, that really impressed you? I like Mio Yoshida. Uh, Yoshida won the Dewey Bio female super flyweight title and completely shot out Casey Martin. Yoshida really came out of nowhere a couple of years ago when she beat Tamomi Takano for the inaugural Japanese female bantamweight title. And since then, she's been on a been on a great roll. She's won Japanese OPBF and world titles. Has got quite a lot of fanfare in Japan as a a single mother who's doing it all. She's She's getting uh, a lot of attention. Oh, she's a bit older for a top fighter. She deserves all the plaudits she's getting right now. That isn't that a great story though. Single mother has to has to you know pay the bills, take care of the kids, and they get in there and fight. That is she's Superwoman, Wonder Woman. <laughs> that seems to be how the Japanese press the curtain now. Uh, and after a title win, she's basically says she wants to give back to the gym and back to the people who've helped so much and. Yeah, she's a fantastic story, and hopefully we see a lot more of it to come. How about Shu Utsuki? We know he was, you know, a decent prospect. How did he look in his bout? This was probably his best performance so far. He stopped Omni Bolivar and at the start of round three. He almost had him out at the at the end of round two. He he's promised a lot, and although he's gone unbeaten so far. This was the first punch where it really all came together for him, and he could go a very long way. He's now in the sort of mix for an OPBF or a Japanese title fight. The guy he beat, Omri Bolivar, is a Japanese-based Venezuelan. He came in with rankings, so Otsuki will take those rankings and will lightly press on with the, the search for a big fight. So that was last week. Great card. Ioka Kiyoguchi. We got to see um, history. History last Wednesday. Now, earlier this week, there was another Japanese card, but this was a, a Japanese v. Korean card. Really like the idea of this, uh, this boxing card. I like the idea of one country versus another. I do think UK versus US or UK versus Germany is a fantastic idea. Unfortunately, Japan versus Korea at the moment is a bit too one-sided. Mismatch. The Korean, yeah. The Koreans, for the most part, weren't, weren't skilled enough to really hold their own with the Japanese counterparts. They're too inexperienced. They're, they're not what they need to be to be competitive on the scene regularly enough. But by having these sorts of matches, it will drive them. And hopefully, hopefully in the years to come, we'll see better Korean fighters coming up and take on Japanese counterparts. Yeah, no, the idea, like you said, country versus country is, is phenomenal. And in the sport of boxing, you have those without having a card kind of set up around that per se. But you have um, even like last week's card where we saw Cancillo and Machado fight each other. And Angela Costa, who was upset by, gosh, I, uh, Soto. Soto. 
Yeah, so that was what Mex- Mexico versus Puerto Rico. It, those are those are fun matches, e- even if the card isn't specifically like, all right, this is Mexico versus Puerto Rico. It is implying that you know we're gonna go and watch it for those rivalries. So I like the idea, but you're right. I guess as of now, it would be more competitive with maybe a different country, something like Korea versus Thailand or Korea versus China, possibly. And in fairness, Korea sent over a really strong team. They sent over guys like Jung Han Cha and Sang Yun Lee. Yeah, they came out and lost all four fights, which is really unfortunate. Who stuck out to you on this card? Before the fights took place, Ram Tomamatsu at the weigh-in just looked like an absolute monster. He looked freakishly strong. Uh, but for the standout fight on the card overall, it was Suzumi Takayama, who... Needed just over two minutes to see off his opponent. He was too sharp, too quick. He he is excellent as a prospect and deserves a lot more attention. Uh, the Ohashi card on July 1st. Interesting here because we get to see the cousin of Naoya Inoue make his first title defense. Yep, Koki Inoue, the cousin of Koki, uh, the cousin of Naoya and Takuma will defend his Japanese like, welterweight title against Ryuji Aikida. Uh, this this should be a little more than a mismatch. Aikida's been picked to make Inoue look good. In your first defense, we don't really complain too much. Uh, Inoue's last two bouts have been really poor. They were sleepy, really, against uh, Valentin Hosokawa and Marcus Smith, but now it's time to add some excitement to his career, and Aikida's the perfect foil for that. He's so talented. I, I feel like he is not tapping into the full potential because he had a, a decent amateur background. He he hits pretty darn hard, mixes up his punches. But you're right, the last two fights were underwhelming. And he, you know, he did win the super lightweight title in, in Japan, so you have to give him credit for that. But like you said, it, it's all about excitement. That's The fans want to see knockouts. They want to see um, action, right? Exactly. I think we will see that here. I think... Uh, Inoue has been told by a few injuries. He hurt his elbow and I think it was his knee before fighting Marcus Smith. He perhaps focused more on winning when it came to his title bout with Valentin Hasekawa. If he puts in the stinker here, he's going to be a very hard sell going into the future, even with the fact that his cousins are, well, who they are. Also on this card, uh, Sushi Tamera will be fighting and Tamera, I remember him from his Fight against Rhea Abe. Um, he actually is coming off of a knockout victory over Arizawa, and uh, he's going to be taking on Atsumi. Just going back to Tamita's previous fight, his knockout win over Arizawa. Arizawa actually ended up in a coma after that bout with a brain bleed. Thankfully, he's now on the mend. He's been released to hospital and he's back in the Philippines. So No, it's... definitely great to hear, and I remember that. We were, we were worried. And there wasn't a lot of, I guess, update on, on how he was, but it's good to hear that. It is, it's fantastic to hear. Um, as for this particular one, this one is probably the stand-up bout on the card. Tamina's very exciting, very aggressive, heavy-handed. Hatsumi is a Japanese-based Korean who very heavy-handed, a tough guy. He sets the pace really well. Uh, it's a hard one to call. I think Tamina has to be the slight favorite, but... This is not an easy bout for him, and there's a really good chance he's going to get upset. Any other uh, fights on this card that kind of stick out to you? Uh, I like the 
Katsuya Yasuda versus Jerry Castroverde fight. I think that's a fantastic step up for Yasuda. Takua, uh, Taku Kuahara is on the card, and he is brilliant. He's one of the top light flyweight, flyweight prospects in the world. He's up against Kayumo Hamagami in what should be should be an easy win for Kuahara, but Hamagami can definitely punch. The hidden gem of the show, however, is Kentaro Endo versus Fumisuke Kimura. On paper, this doesn't look like it's really worth anyone's time, but Kimura's on a real roll. Kimura's last two wins have been against Hayato Ono and the wonderfully named Giraffe Kirin Kanda. Oh, so, I love Giraffe. Yeah, he knocked Giraffe out in seven rounds back in April, so Kimura's on a fantastic roll, and I suspect if he wins here, he could be in the title mix by the end of the year. July 12th is a date that we all have marked on our calendar because uh, Ryota Murata will be fighting along with Kenshiro, Satoshi Shimizu. But now there's going to be another fight on that date, and it deals with an Asian boxer in Amir Khan against Billy Dib. I have to be quite honest. I don't know if I saw this, this one coming. Nobody seemed to until... Yesterday, when Khan's original opponent, Niraj Goya, reportedly had a car accident and was forced to pull out, cancelling the amazing WBC Pearl title bout. That's the one everyone wants. That's up there with the WBC franchise title. Oh, well, don't get me started on the franchise title. But Billy Dib, I mean, gosh, he was just a super featherweight like a year ago. Dib was penciled in for this card, bizarrely, against a Indonesian called Carlos Lopez, who'd been inactive for five, six years. So at least Dib was in training for a bout and had visas and things sorted. But he should be too small, too old, too war damaged for Khan. The good news for him is he gets to eat. Like, doesn't have to worry about his weight. Unfortunately, it's in Saudi Arabia, and the entire show is going to be a little more than propaganda for the Saudi government and their progressive ideas and not killing journalists and giving freedom to women. Great. I mean, that should be good. Should Great. be a lot of fun. Saudis. Um, I don't know if you've seen the WWE shows in Saudi Arabia. They've been a little more than political farces, and a PSV all of this is as well. Uh, speaking of women, about coming up on the 29th, uh, Choi, she's going to be stepping in the ring. Yunmi Choi, a woman who Hollywood needs to make a story on. Her career, her life, it's made for Hollywood. She'll be defending her WBA female super featherweight title against Wakako Fujiwara of Japan. Most people won't be aware of Choi, but her story is... It's amazing. As a child, she was spotted as a talent, as a talented big youngster by the North Korean government. Her father was actually quite high ranked up in the government. Um, they then did a runner through sort of Asia to South Korea, where they've lived for the last ten or eleven years. She won a world title on debut, and almost all of her professional bouts have been world title bouts. Amazing story. I can't see her losing to Fujiwara, but. It's nice to see that she's still fighting and it. So please sign her up for a Hollywood film. Asianboxing.info, the Asian Boxing Podcast. Scott and Colin, remember on Twitter, all you have to do is type in Asian Boxing. That will be the first thing that pops up. You'll see all of Scott's tweets informing us of what's going on around the world of Asian Boxing. 
some news on the front here, Scott. First, let's start with Abe. He's going to get another shot at uh, trying to win the old featherweight title. Last time it was a draw. This time he's going up against a tough opponent in uh, Sagawa. Yeah, last time out at the start of May, Rhea Abe fought to a draw with the then Japanese champion Taiki Minamoto. He had to pull himself off the canvas a couple of times. The perceived logic was that they would have a rematch, but Minamoto's vicar, the title to join the mix at Super Featherweight. As a result, Abe will face Ryo Sagawa, who actually comes down in weight after winning, I think it was WB or Asia Pacific Super Featherweight title earlier this year, or WBC Asian Boxing Council at Super Featherweight. The two managers are in absolute great form. Abe, if you ignore the draw with Minamoto, won his last 12. He's stopped Tsuyoshi Tamida. Uh, he's beat Joe Noine, beat Satoshi Hosono, beat Daisuke Sagita. He's been in awesome form. Sagawa himself has beat the likes of Junki Sasaki, Ryo Matsumoto, Shingo Kawamura, Al Tiogan. This part is just amazing. It's what we get when the Japanese scene really comes to its best and gives us one of the best domestic title fights we're going to see this year. I really thought Abe pulled it out last time. I don't know. It was close, though. It really was a close fight. He seemed like the better boxer, and he was the better boxer against Minamoto, but those knockdowns really hurt him. He just kind of got careless towards the end. I think this could be a little bit of redemption for Abe. Could well be. In fairness, Sagawa himself, he's a class fighter. He, uh, He won't be there to make up the numbers. And that's why we love it. See the best fight the best. Anyone else on this card of note? At the moment, there hasn't been any other details about this card other than that it will be um, an A-signed boxing card. So it will be available on delay on YouTube via the A-signed boxing channel. Uh, Danny Williams. <laughs> Danny Williams back in the ring taking on Ruslan Mursatayev. I hope I uh, um, didn't butcher that. I'll sit with your pronunciation. That's a tough... I mean, he, he's from Kazakhstan. That's why, you know, we say Triple G, because it's easier than... I mean, Gennady Golovkin's pretty easy to say. He's 5-0-5. Um, Williams is now 53 wins, 26 losses. Dude, Danny Williams is a monster. Like, he just fight, continues to fight. He's, what, like four, over 40 right now? I think he's 45 now. 45? Yeah, his last 40 fights have gone 21 and 22, I believe. He's... He beat Mike Tyson like 15 years ago. He lost to Vitaly Klitschko 14 years ago. You have to wonder what goes on in someone's brain to keep them fighting this far past the best. There has to be better careers for him at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I, I understand you have a love for it. It's your passion. This is what you've done for most of your life. But at the end of the day, health is extremely important, and continuing to get hit in the head is not healthy, especially when you're past your prime. Especially when you're doing so against a puncher like Ruslan. Yeah, um, Ruslan's heavy-handed, to say the least. How about Aman Kazan Kapov? It's going to be his debut. It's going to be his debut this weekend. He is on a card in Canada. He was an absolute sensational amateur himself. He's sharing a card. He's sharing a card with Sadrin Akhmedov. I think he's the newest signing for the Eye of the Tiger gym in or the Eye of the Tiger management promotion. 
in Canada. He was like former youth world, uh, former youth Asian champion, I think. And it's hard to see how many of these young Kazakhs are going to come through. There's obviously a it's obviously going to be a limit on how many can come through, but he is tipped to be one of the next real stars of Kazakh boxing. So if he's half as good as the Kazakh media is saying and as amateur fight fans are saying, then yeah, they're on for an absolute winner. That's a name to, to keep your eyes peeled for. Kazan Kapov. Aman Kazan Kapov. I think I got it down. News coming out of uh, Riki Naito's next defense. Riki Naito's next defense had been rumored for a while to be in uh, in Korea against Guy Byung John and this past week or so Dangan Boxing or Reason Boxing have confirmed that will indeed take place in Korea it'll be in August and it's a really interesting one because of what Naito's father Cassius did uh, Cassius Naito would travel to fight in Korea five times during his career and would lose all, all five of them oh no so, Bit of a family revenge. Interestingly, when you look at his father's career in his father's career in Korea, he fought Jeju Yu four times and Chung Pao Park, so fancy Ricky to have an easier test than his father ever had on on Korean soil. Could you see like Ricky going up against Koki Inoue to like unify titles or or anything like that? It's a possibility, if I'm being totally honest. I've heard other rumors about Naito getting fights on foreign soil. Um, I think he's more like ditch the title than he used first in newer. Definitely, definitely. No, I, I, I would like to see that matchup though. I think both guys are pretty skilled and uh, interesting tactical matchup between Naito and Inoue. Well, it's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. Remember, go to asianboxing.info. And uh, follow us on Twitter, Asian Boxing Scott and Colin. We will talk to you next week. Have a good one.